Hello and welcome to ASI Cast 160. I'm Richard Marks, ASI's Research Director, and today we're paying another visit to our American correspondent and expert in all things streaming and VOD, Guy Bisson of Ampere. So welcome back, Guy. Thank you, Richard. Glad to be here. Now, when we spoke to you back in February for episode 151, it was early days in the journey that the SVOD giants were making into ad-supported tiers, but you were cautiously optimistic about their chances of success. Since then, it would appear that Disney in particular is really looking to double down on advertising at the heart of their business model. Can you tell us a bit more about their direction of travel and how they're heading? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a really interesting analyst call for the quarterly results from Disney um, about 10 days ago, in which they gave um, lots of hints, I guess you'd say, as to where they want advertising to fit in the wider streaming business model. So there were a number of um, aspects to that. First of all, and, and I loved the expression that Bob Iger used about increasing the delta between the paid ad-free tier and the ad-supported tier for Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. What he meant by increasing the delta was making the premium tier very expensive relative to the ad tier in order to push people towards the ad tier. Now, the reason for doing that is they're making more money per subscriber per month from the ad-supported customers. Mm. That's not entirely surprising because we already knew that Hulu um, also makes more money from their ad tier customers. So it, it's it's kind of um, pushing the knowledge that they've gained both from Hulu and from the, the early days of advertising on Disney Plus. And as you say, doubling down on the ad model as an important contributor to their revenue stream. Um, there were a few other things in there around advertising that were significant as well. Um, firstly, they're going to launch the ad tier in Europe uh, this coming year. And secondly, um, although not obviously and directly related, they're combining Hulu and Disney Plus into a single application. And that, again, will happen before the end of this year. Now, um, they will still offer standalone versions, but the point is there had been question about the future of Hulu under Disney and whether they would seek to acquire the remaining stake that Comcast still holds. Um, that now looks like a certain that they will take full control, combine the applications, and hence ma massively broaden the content offer to bring in Hulu's entertainment content and reality content that perhaps is a bit lacking on Disney Plus, effectively build a generalist audience for that combined application. And that, of course, has implications as well for advertising revenue and growth of revenue on that combined platform. So a lot of different things happening in terms of Disney's um, strategy, which they would describe as leaning in to advertising. I think that's one of the buzzwords of the last few months. Um, since since I've heard it, I've heard it about 10 times this week. That's interesting. They, they, obviously, I think one of the points someone made to me a couple of weeks ago was that, of course, we shouldn't forget that Disney has decades of experience of selling advertising, you know, via its, you know, linear offers and 
you know, it, it's not a new world for them in the way that it is potentially for someone like Netflix, who are, I assume, heavily reliant on Microsoft, um, even to the extent, I think, of actually ad sales in terms of how, how that actually works. Do, do you see that Disney is setting a, a trend that the others will follow, or are they going to be perhaps not quite as... Um, keen on making the delta, as as, as they as they put it, uh, yeah, because that that's quite a significant move. To, to if if it's a question of it significantly increasing the the ad free tier for something like Netflix that has been very much defined by its absence of ads. Yeah, I think um, it's safe to say that all of the studio platforms now are looking to. Um, build and incorporate advertising as part of their business model. And I, I put that down simply to the, um, well, partly because all of them, in, as you said, with Disney, but all of the studio groups were channel owners um, mm. before the streaming revolution, um, often a, a US network, but also um, global and international thematic cable channels that carried advertising. So all of them, have got experience. You're right, Netflix is kind of the odd one out in that respect. So it is a natural evolution, but it's more about where the market has reached in terms of searching for growth, both customer growth and revenue growth. They are um, maxed out uh, in many of their wealthy Western markets. Certainly Netflix is, um, and the others are heading in that direction quickly. It's not um it's not a sort of black tick against the platforms it's simply that once you're saturated there are no customers left to acquire you've already acquired everyone who wants your service yeah. so at, at the edges it's attracting those last holdouts who perhaps feel they can't afford the premium tiers and bringing them on platform with a lower cost ad tier but it's also an opportunity for revenue diversification and it's a churn down mechanism to retain customers in an increasingly important market. So I think uh, advertising now is cemented as a key part of the streaming business for everyone. And then, of course, the one exception is Apple, um, who are a law unto themselves. But um, I was going to ask, I was going to ask about Apple because they're a law unto themselves in that they have very little content but what the content they do have does seem to be high profile it seems to be working for them critically i don't i don't know what yeah, it's working in terms of absolute streams but if you look at award ceremonies and sort of buzz they seem to be doing that but also of course famously apple has been engaged in the the privacy wars between you know being blamed for taking billions of dollars off of Facebook's valuation by stopping them doing what they want to do with targeting of advertising on Apple devices and so on. Do you think, can you, could you envisage a world in which Apple becomes slightly more warm towards the concept of advertising on its own? Or is, is it part of the Apple brand that they are above such things? I, I think in a way that, it's absolutely correct. I mean, it's it's the iPhone model, really. It's that have the most premium device in the market. Um, 
and damn what anyone anyone else is doing effectively, which is what they do with their device strategies. They're doing the same with content, as you alluded to, high budget, high production value, but limited volume. Um, and you're right, it does seem to be working for them. So I, I will say, I would say Apple will not go down the advertising route, but I would also flag that I said the same about Netflix. So um, <laughs> perhaps you should ask someone else on that one. Well, I guess one of the areas of overlap is sports. And um, it's clear that the the global players are becoming more and more interested in sport and in some cases are buying up, you know, NFL Friday night and, uh, t- you know, tennis competitions and things like that. That clearly is another um, part of the direction of travel towards advertising because, if you've got NFL, for example, not putting ads in the 75 breaks in play seems almost perverse. But do you think there is also an element of um, the move towards linear that some of the, not not just sports, but also having linear channels for curation is also part of this dynamic towards the, effectively recreating broadcast television within their own environments? Yeah, absolutely. And that's very much um, an ongoing side trend within streaming. So, you know, we started this conversation talking about how um, doubling down on advertising was pretty much now a universal strategy, certainly for the the studio groups. But the other big trend, of course, in the industry is uh, linear streaming, um, so-called fast channels. Um, which at the moment are largely niche thematic or single IP, so focused on a single show um, using catalogue, but increasingly um, looking at bringing on original content. And a natural progression from there absolutely would be to, as you say, effectively replicate the model of first thematic television, so the cable channels, and then beyond that, I guess, thinking a bit more broadly towards the network style model. Um, mm. Of course, the US networks already have streamed channels and versions of their channels. But I think all of this will converge on a model that we just end up calling free TV that happens to be streamed. There'll be thematic channels, which are the fast channels of today. There'll be network channels, which are the network stream channels of today and then there'd be on-demand elements um, which of course we're all very familiar with. Mm. In terms of the, I'm just wondering, I may be overthinking this, but in terms of the implications for content, it strikes me there's two potential things going on. I mean one is that in the early days of Netflix and Apple and Amazon Prime, the sell to the creators was that this is premium content, it won't have advertising, and they were able to persuade a lot of talent that might otherwise have been dealing with the you know, the cinema studios for cinema distribution to be releasing content directly on their platforms as premium, you know, as a you know, appealing to their artistic nature, as it were. If if increasingly this content is going to be more like television. Is ironically this going to be perhaps a shot in the arm for the cinema industry as some of the 
talent decides I don't want my my content split up with pre-rolls and ads, I'm going to be you know, releasing it back in cinemas. Well, I think um, not just the creatives, the studios themselves and indeed um, some of the streamers uh, are going to get there first because they've already talked about uh, re-embracing some of the old ways of windowing content. So mm. Apple, Amazon and others are talking increasingly about theatrical release as part of a wider strategy. Mm. Um, we heard from Netflix uh, just a few weeks ago saying it wasn't their job to drive people to the theatre, um, implying that they were going away from theatrical, but it actually the data shows that they also are increasingly releasing movies into a theatrical window. It, it has a number of benefits, uh, promotional, it tends to boost the profile of a movie and act as a therefore a subscriber acquisition tool when that does come on platform. The, the, at the other end of the chain, um, and this also came up on the Disney results call um, a couple of weeks ago, is taking some of that content that has been held exclusively in perpetuity on platform and reinvestigating syndication. So selling it to other people for a second use somewhere mm. else, um, which of course is an entirely traditional model on which the business has run for, for decades. But it was the streamers who started to dismantle that when they were in their customer acquisition phase because exclusivity was everything. Mm. Um, obviously being able to use that globally was everything for the likes of Netflix. And now they're thinking about maybe uh, we can make some money uh, once the show has disappeared into obscurity on my platform. Maybe I can license it elsewhere. And, and Disney also talked about uh, doing that more than they had hitherto with some of their originals. So it really is um, what comes around goes around. <laughs> it's taken a few years of disruption, but we seem to be returning to a world where there's a theatrical window a subscription window and then content goes into syndication and mm. within that there's a, a pay model and, a, and, a, and an ad supported model uh, everyone's entirely familiar with that as a as a way of doing business but it kind of went out of fashion for a little while well one of the other things that that is very much the fashion was the idea that the that VOD was where the premium content was, that broadcast television was full of reality and cheap to make shows because it was, you know, entirely you know, almost entirely ad funded. Is the other direction of travel towards um perhaps more, more affordable television that the, the 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 streamers are going to be making? Are we going to be seeing more um uh, sort of reality-based, you know, human interest documentary-type content, or are we still going to be seeing stuff like The Crown and Stranger Things with, you know, ludicrous twenty million budgets per per hour? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and and certainly, again, not just Disney but Netflix and others have been talking recently about flattening budgets. Um, Disney said its content spend would be flat this year um, and costs would start to decline going forward, that they would rationalise um, their budget and the volume of content they were making. So 
definitely a scale back. And of course, lower cost uh, reality and light entertainment fits very well into that sort of situation um, and is great for localization of content as well because it's easy to localize. So definitely that's a trend um, and an ongoing trend. But of course, we will still see those headline uh, dramas that we've got used to over the last few years. You still need those. Mm. Um, one of the other interesting aspects, and it's quite topical at the moment, if you're here in Los Angeles, it's very obvious you walk past any studio, be that Netflix or Sony or Disney, and there are tens, if not hundreds, of writers mm. carrying placards outside the gate. Um, one of the key contentions that they have is, is uh, related to an aspect of their remuneration, um, which is known as residuals, which is a back-end payment mm -hmm. on the future exploitation of that content um, elsewhere. And, and on streaming, uh, uh, as we were just talking about, some of that model has broken down a bit um, where their share of res residuals is not as high as perhaps they would have expected in the past. Um, if, if we are going more fully back to the old ways, then therein lies some part of a solution to that issue as well. Um, so I think there are a lot of reasons why the business is changing in the way that it is, mm. um, both in terms of budget rationalization, volume rationalization, and the re-embracing of some of those old ways of making money off a piece of content that you have invested in. The One of the other phenomena we've picked up on over the last few years has been the the internationalization of the sourcing of content, you know, the obvious examples of um, uh, the, you know, the, the, the big hits from other countries like Korea and Latin America and France and so on. Clearly, you need to remind us of the, the writer strike is at the moment US only. Do you envisage um, a, a long term impact in terms of um, the nature of content from the writer strike? I, mean, I know that production's already halted on Stranger Things, the next um, two or three different Star Trek series that were in production. That's going to create holes further down the line, presumably, which is problematic given that they can be filled with new content, but presumably a fair proportion of subscribers are there for the, the you know, the, the flagship franchises that made them sign up in the first place. I'd wager quite a lot of Paramount Plus people are there solely for the Star Trek. Yeah, and I think you're right. We will start to, and it, it depends how long it will go on for, but I was talking to a WGA staff member yesterday he said that they're not even back at the table yet, and it's we're we're in week four of that writers' strike. The last one lasted a hundred days. There's another issue around the use of artificial intelligence, which I think is going to be very hard. Yes. So, given they're not at the table yet, there's some very difficult issues. Looks like it's going to go on at least as long as the last one. And yes, that will create holes in some of those big US productions. There's, there's no doubt about it that um, consumers will start to notice going through to the latter part of this year and early into next year. Um, it's true that also the streamers are somewhat shielded through their international productions. This is very much about US 
um, creative trade unions, and there are others that rep rep represent actors and technicians in the industry who are also balloting at the moment for potential strike action. So um, it's a US phenomenon. Streamers are protected up to 60% of their content. That, that, uh, it's 60% for Netflix, around 50 for Amazon, similar for Disney, is being made outside the US. Um, so the, the pipeline will not dry up completely, um, but there will definitely be an impact. And might it also mean a move, uh, to pick up on an earlier point you made, a move, albeit temporarily, but it might be more permanent towards unscripted unscripted content to fill those holes? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's really the COVID strategy we saw during lockdown when productions were difficult to make, scripted productions were difficult to make, a massive upswing in unscripted that perhaps could get made um, e either remotely in some cases or on closed sets. Um, so that's kind of a, a learning that they have from the disaster that was COVID that, that could be brought to bear uh, on filling some of that gap. And it was happening anyway, as we talked about earlier. They were moving increasingly towards unscripted as a core part of the production strategy. So um, absolutely, I think that's also uh, important. And finally, because we want to leave some content for future letters from America during the year, but just finally, just to circle back on the um, the advertising element we were discussing, you mentioned Amazon, which we haven't mentioned up to now in the conversation. Are, are there any expectations around Amazon being able to leverage the fact that he's one of the biggest online stores itself? To have a more direct relationship between, you know, adverts it may be running in its prime content and actual, what you know, what's called short-term activation, actually, you know, clicking through to buying stuff. Because I know they 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 bet bet a lot of money on um, voice recognition and Alexa and Amazon Echo as theoretically being a way of stimulating purchasing via Amazon. Is is, is there any conversation you're aware of around a more direct linkage between Amazon's commercial operations and its prime? I think ev everyone is looking at more direct connections with the customer through advertising and, and targeting advertising um, much more in a much more refined way. And actually, come back to Disney, they also talked about heavy investment in ad tech for targeting. Just from experience of using Amazon uh, as a retail operation and also watching their uh, platform Freevee, I, I know that they are quite closely targeting what I was searching for, which mm. happened to be running shoes and, and the ads mm. that I saw on Freevee. So um, down to quite a level of detail on a, spe a specific running shoe for overpronation um that i was get them getting served ads for on on freebie so there's a there's a large degree of targeting going on already there's um and, and obviously amazon has a sign-in relationship with you through amazon prime which is important for very precise yeah. targeting 
Um, but, but everyone is looking at how they can improve that. And there's lots of exciting ad tech. I say exciting, it's kind of slightly old world tech now, but using QR codes for direct link through mm. um, from ads to the, to the, to the product and, and, and also dynamic creative, um, which is a way of customizing the visual um, and, and the narrative of the advert to the individual through having m- multiple different versions that can be served depending mm. on who you are targeting. So all of that is ongoing. Uh, the key, of course, is do you have data on your customer? And for that, you need a sign-in. Um, all of the hybrid streamers have that, crucially. So Disney+, Plus, Netflix, others uh, involves a sign-in, and thus they can, tar- they can and will be targeting quite precisely. Mm. But just finally, I have to ask, had you already brought, bought your sneakers by the time you saw the ads, or did they play any role in your choice of sneaker? Yeah, that, that is the issue with targeted advertising. Yeah. I had, in fact, gone and bought them at a, a real-world retail shop uh, where I could try them on. Um, and so, yes, it was somewhat tedious to see uh, repeated ads, but fortunately yes. it didn't last too long. So it's targeting, this is what you should have bought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Okay, well, we'll catch up with you later in the year. Thanks for taking the time out to speak to us today. And uh, I'm sure we'll have lots more to talk to when we speak, perhaps uh, towards the end of the summer and the autumn. So uh, in the meantime, thanks, Guy. Great, thank you.